All right, so we're uh, three weeks in, three and a half weeks really into the season that the church has always called Lent for uh, 1,600 years now, more than 1,600 years since the fourth century. And while Lent has always been a time when Christians have given up things ostensibly for spiritual reasons or more intentionally given things or given more generally or more, or more generously or more intentionally for kingdom purposes, as we do with our Lenten offering, uh, supporting the equipping of pastors in India this year. At its essence and at its core, Lent always has been a season during which the church prepares for Good Friday, Jesus' crucifixion on our behalf, and eventually Easter And a part of that is this journey with Jesus of being intentional and walking with him, listening to him, being attentive to him during these six and a half weeks or so, his journey to the cross. Uh, To that end, we read three weeks ago from the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel about Jesus, quote, setting his face toward Jerusalem, Luke tells us, about a shift in Luke's gospel in which his focus seems to be Jesus' focus more on the cross from that point on than it had did before, and more on that part of his mission, on his Father in heaven doing what his Father had called him specifically to do. We talked about Jesus in that, Jesus' single-minded focus, how he set his face and his eyes toward Jerusalem. Two Sundays ago, John Garcia spoke from the next passage in Luke's gospel in which Jesus talked about denying oneself, about the importance of denying oneself, about how Jesus himself denied himself, and about how anyone who would come after Jesus, follow him, also must be ready and willing and prepared to deny themselves, their own self-interests, and instead align themselves with the interests of God and God's kingdom. Last Sunday, David Sheeran uh, spoke from another passage in the next chapter of Luke's gospel in which Jesus is sending out his disciples into their missions and the thing to which God has called them. And Jesus talked about how important it would be for his disciples in their journey They didn't know it was really to a cross, but in their journey to also trust God as Jesus finds himself at this same place in a position where he must trust his Father in heaven as he has never had to before. And so our memory verse last Sunday, as Gladys shared with the children, are these words from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways Submit to or acknowledge him, and he will make our paths, including this path to Jerusalem, straight. This morning, as we continue on our journey with Jesus to the cross, we come to another passage in chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, in which we will observe several things, including what I will call Jesus' progressive cross-gender ethic, the virtue of minding one's own business, the importance of recognizing people's differences, a tip about loving people, and then finding balance in our life with God and in following Jesus, including to Jerusalem. Before we uh, dive into chapter 10, though, again, let's pray. Pray with me. Help us, God, to be attentive and attentive in fresh ways. 
even as we read verses of Scripture that we may have read many times or are familiar to us. Help us uh, to quiet the noises, the distractions, the things that are going on in our lives and in our world that we might be attentive to you. To your goodness, to your grace, to your glory. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are good soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. And now from chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, listen closely as I read along. This is the word of God. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and Luke says that probably very intentionally to remind us that Jesus, again, is going somewhere. He has a mission. He is headed to Jerusalem, though indirectly, but to Jerusalem and to a cross nevertheless. As Jesus and his disciples are on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Five short verses. Many of us have read these passages before. We're familiar with them. We know them. We know the moral to the story. Martha is self-absorbed. Mary is the saint. Martha is good. Mary is bad. Or at least uh, Mary is, or Martha is who she is, but Mary is better. But let's take a little bit closer look this morning at all that's going on here. But first a note. This is the only home in the Gospels that all of the gospel, any of the gospel writers tell us Jesus visited three times. We're told once here in Luke and twice more in John's gospel. No other home does Jesus visit three times. There may have been some, there, we're not told. He may have visited Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home more than three times. We don't know. But Jesus visits this home more often than any other home. And so we get the sense that he's comfortable here. He enjoys being here. Martha and her sister Mary are presumably also, and uh, also their brother Lazarus, whom we learn in John's gospel, also lived together with him. Luke tells us that it was Martha's house, and from that fact, what we read in John's gospel, we can guess or presume that Martha was the older sister of the two, that Lazarus was probably the youngest of the three of them. Otherwise, it would have been his household, even if he was younger, in a male-dominated society. Martha may have been a widow. We don't know for sure. Another reason how she could have been the one whose house it was. And while none of these things are critical to Luke's account, they can help us understand the personalities of the people here and the dynamics between them as we dig in a little bit more. Martha opened her home. Jesus entered Martha's home. And Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And Luke tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, to help us understand the way in which Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She wasn't just positionally, physically at his feet on the floor, but there was a way hinted to us by the word Lord 
that she sat listening to him attentively, fully engaged. And now think about Jesus, a very popular person by this point as preacher and healer and miracle worker and rabbi. Many people followed him, many people sought him out, and now he's on this subtle but history-changing journey to Jerusalem, and those around him aren't even privy to his journey yet. The readers are because Luke tells us, but no one else in the story really knows. And Jesus pulls off of the road a bit, and Jesus, this highly respected rabbi who held the scriptures and the faith and the traditions of the Jewish people and their culture in highest, highest regard, enters into the house of a woman. And what's more surprising than that is that Jesus allows another woman to sit at his feet and to learn from him and to be one of his disciples. It certainly was instructive about Jesus. This isn't the main point here, but it is instructive about Jesus that he allows this, that he welcomes this, that he enters into a woman's home, that he puts himself in a place where a woman is at his feet learning as a disciple. He was willing, he was even eager to cross gender barriers that were deeply cemented in his culture. Even though women were considered to be little more than children at that time in that place, Jesus crossed over historical and cultural boundaries and barriers, particularly with regard to gender, in order to include all possible people that were historically excluded from such things. Jesus was radically inclusive of and toward all kinds of people. This is the first message we can pull out of this passage. And the second message is this, we are not to overly concern ourselves with what others are doing or what they are not doing, or at least not be overly obsessed with such. In a few words, mind one's own business. Like small children who are inappropriately concerned with what their siblings or their friends or their peers or others are doing or maybe doing wrong and so tattle on the other kids. Martha complains to Jesus that Mary isn't pulling her weight. Mary isn't doing her, for her fair share of the chores. Mary, or fill in the blank in your life or your world, isn't carrying her weight at home or on a project at work or as a citizen or as a neighbor or as a donor or as a member of a board or around the church. Have you ever looked around at the church and thought, that person's not pulling their weight around here? Uh, grumble, grumble. Mary's not helping. Would you like some cheese with your wine, Martha? Martha whines on and on, and Jesus tells Martha to get over it. Much like what Jesus says at the end of John's gospel to Peter. Quote, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, was following them. When Peter saw him, Peter asked, Lord, what about him? Because Jesus has just been speaking to and teaching Peter. What about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Just follow me. What is that to you? Don't concern yourself with the other guy. 
It seems that many of us, Jesus followers included, have a unique propensity for noticing what others are doing. Is it true? Noticing what others are doing or noticing what others are not doing, especially when it comes to matters of faith and shared life or shared space or communal resources or how a person is acting or behaving or dressing or whatever. Many Christians, like me included, readily embrace the role of morality police in our society, in our world, in our communities, in our circles, in the church. This is what many Christians gravitate toward. Those of us who are Myers-Briggs temperaments SJ by nature, by God-given wiring, may be particularly gifted or bent in this direction, as are people who are ungenerous or frightened or worried or self-centered. Think about how Christians behave in our society, publicly. And Jesus says, mind your own business. Don't worry so much about what others are doing, about how bad or how good other people are. You tend to your own business. Make sure that you are living as God has called you to live. And enjoy the freedom of that and the trusting God in that. Oh, man, we Christians are very concerned, especially with others' sexual ethics, with the ways that they live in the world. And Jesus says, ah, mind your own business to some extent. And third, recognize that people are different, though all made in the image of God. Martha and Mary share a lot of DNA. They were sisters, but they were wired by God really differently by nature and maybe by nurture. Martha may have been an extrovert. Mary may have been an introvert. Martha may have squeezed the toothpaste from the end. Mary from the middle. Martha may have separated lights and darks before washing clothes while Mary threw them all in together. Martha may have loaded the dishwasher one way and Mary may have loaded the dishwasher the wrong way. Martha may have insisted that only believers can be baptized, and Mary may have been okay with infant baptism. You get the picture. Do you get the picture? And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise or glory to God just as Christ accepted us. And maybe, in addition to accepting one another, we go a step further and appreciate one another. We appreciate one another's differences, recognizing that, for example, Stephen is really great, but what if everyone was Stephen? The church would be a wonderfully boring place. Lovely, but boring. Accept one another and all of our differences. Imagine if everyone was Southern Baptist. All the wineries and breweries in our country would be shut down immediately. Or would they? Recognize that God wired us all differently, and according to God's plan, that's a good thing. Have you ever sort of subtly wished that everyone was just like me, did their faith just like me, lived as a Christian just like me, or at least sought to, had the same intentions, had the same vision of what it means to be a Christian as me? 
Is any, am I the only one? Okay, me and Rich. Recognize that God wired us all differently. That's a good thing, even if it means that rap music must exist in our world. And fourth, love people the way they need to be loved. Loving people is not about us, but about them. Love people in the way that they need to be loved, the way in which they are best loved or they feel most loved. 24 years ago, a book was written and published called The Five Love Languages. And through that book, millions of people have come to understand and their eyes have been opened to five key different ways that people give and receive love that we instinctively love other people and in ways that we, by nature, by design, may want or feel uh, most loved ourselves. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. For most of us, we instinctively express love and naturally, uh, and most naturally express love in one or maybe two of these ways. And likely that's the case because those are the ways that we most naturally receive love as well. Martha seems to have spoken the love language called acts of service. Mary seems to have spoken the love language of quality time. They were different. And the way that Jesus, who was fully human as well as being fully divine, the way that Jesus seemed to be, need to be loved that day in Bethany was through quality time with others. Do you see that? Remember, uh, Jesus fully God, fully human, and so he too has these human needs. And just as you and I need to be loved, he too needed to be loved. Martha had for Jesus acts of service that day, but Jesus was longing for some quality time with another person, which Mary offered to him. And Jesus said to Martha in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. And scholars, frankly, aren't sure what that unusual language is in there about few things are needed, or indeed only one. It could mean a variety of things. Many scholars think that Jesus is saying, we really don't need a five-course meal here together, Martha. A one-course meal will be sufficient for me and for us today. Or Jesus may have meant that though her heart was in the right place, what Martha had focused on really wasn't what was needed, not then and not there. In the midst of Jesus' certainly taxing and anguishing journey to Jerusalem and to his cross, Mary was the one who was best attending to his needs. As much as you can be, therefore, be mindful of people's differences and love people in the way that they need to be loved, in the way that they receive love, in the way that they appreciate love, in which they are best loved or feel most loved. And in doing so, in being mindful of that and in acting in the other's language, you will become more loving. We will be stretched. We will grow in love. And now finally, what may be the most important for us to hear and learn in this passage is how to find a balanced life in God and in following Jesus. Martha was a worker bee. 
She was the older sister. She was probably the responsible one. She was the head of the household. If something was going to happen, it was going to happen because she was going to make it happen. Everything was on her shoulders. And she was ready. She was willing. She was eager to serve, to make sure that Jesus was appropriately welcomed and honored by being served a wonderful meal and all of the fixings, good Middle Eastern hospitality, nothing wrong with that. She was a project manager. She had a project in front of her to manage, and she was going to make sure it got done and got done well. But, Luke wrote, Martha was distracted. By all of the preparations that had to be made, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha had become distracted by her serving. And to be distracted is to miss the main thing because of something else, to be inadvertently and maybe even unknowingly drawn away from the major by the minor. Like someone driving down 101, who is reading and responding to text messages. Martha had taken her eyes off of the main thing at the moment. Her gift was serving, we could say. And serving like Jesus is absolutely a core facet of following Jesus, absolutely. It's a part of our core curriculum from last fall. Everyone who is physically able would do well, including for their own sakes, to find ways to serve and to do so humbly and in Jesus' name, absolutely. But serving isn't everything and isn't priority always. Serving isn't the only thing. Working hard for God and working for Jesus and for his kingdom is not everything. We must have balance in our lives as Jesus had balance in his life. For our own sakes and for the sake of our relationship with God and with others, And for the pleasure and delight of Jesus himself, we must not only serve, but also sit. We must not only work, but also worship. We must find a balance between duty, which drives many of us, and devotion. Some of us say yes to everything. We fill up our schedules. We are always busy. We become Silicon Valley machines. And we take pride in that, our busyness and our productivity. And we boast about such things. Think about this. People say, I'm a type A person. I have a type A personality. And by that, they mean that their engine is always running like Martha's. But whoever says, I'm a type B personality. I like to stop and rest. I need to slow down. When I get too busy, I become distracted and begin to miss the main thing or the main person. Who says that? Have you ever ever heard it? Two people have either heard it or said it. But isn't most of what we hear, oh, I'm a type A personality. I rarely hear my fellow Christians in the Bay Area say, I have plenty of time for the things God's called me to. It's important to slow down. I refuse to become distracted by the things that supposedly have to get done. I know there's lots of serving to be done, but right now I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Many of us don't live in that world, and we don't take care of that facet of our relationship with God. And then we wonder why our spirits are sometimes dry. But taking Sabbath was 
and is one of God's big Ten Commandments. And practicing Sabbath was one of the core facets of our curriculum last fall, as was loving God, simply loving God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. How often do you hear people say, I'm not busy at all right now. I know the most important things are what they are, and I've got time to do those things. I have arranged my life in such a way that I have time for the most important things, for sitting with the Lord, for paying attention to Him, for not being distracted, for listening to the Lord. How often do we hear people say these things? How often can we say such things? And yet Jesus says, at least at Martha's house, that is the better way. And many of us need to hear this. Our lives are really full. Our to-do lists are really long. What we want to accomplish and experience, including the ways that we want to serve and the good things that we want to do during this season of our lives, during this year, during this week, today, can become, Luke says, distracting. We make ourselves busy. We surround ourselves with noise. 35 hours of television for the average American each week. Our phones and social media. But the psalmist wrote, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. And now finally, and to be fair, let's put this passage in context, which maybe we should have done at the beginning. How often is putting a passage to understand and interpret a passage of Scripture, how often is it important to understand the context? Always. How often is it important to understand the context of Scripture? Always. Always. In the passage of Luke, in Luke's gospel that immediately comes before this one, we read about a man coming to Jesus wanting to know how he can inherit eternal life. Jesus then tells a story that we know is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we know that the main point we think of the parable of the Good Samaritan is to do good to serve, to bless, to help, to assist, to come to another's aid. That's the point of this sort of seminal parable of Jesus. To serve, to help, to be there for other people. To work hard, to be committed, to be devoted to duty. And then immediately after that, not accidentally, comes this passage where Luke puts in juxtaposition something somewhat different. Serving others is important, but that's not all there is, and that's not what is always most important. Some of us need to get up off of our seats. Some of us need to get up off of our seats and serve the people around us in Jesus' name, and to serve Jesus himself. That really is the message for some of us, to take care of the person on the road who's been beaten up and left for dead. And there are a hundred ways to do that right now in front of us, but some of us today, this morning in our lives, need to just sit down and stop doing all the doing and listen and pay attention to Jesus, who is Lord In our following Jesus, we need to find a right, healthy, and holistic mix of work and worship, of serving 
and sitting. Which of those is most important? The answer is yes. Jesus in his earthly life and particularly on his road and his journey to Jerusalem and his cross made time for both. He served those in his midst. He served his disciples in the most humble of ways. And at other times he simply sat before his father. He simply sat in prayer and attentiveness before his father. And we would do well to do the same. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Let's pray. Save us, God, from hurry. Save us from our list of things that we think we have to do or that you want us to do or that are calling and clamoring for all of our attention today, right now, this afternoon, this week. Thank you for Mary, who is different than many of us. Thank you for Martha, who was different than many of us. Help us to be attentive to you in our serving and in our sitting, in our work and in our worship. May they all be devoted to you. Give us times of slowness and Sabbath for your namesake, for your delight and pleasure, for our well-being. Save us from type A. Have your way within us and among us and through us. Bring about your kingdom out there and in here. We, we pray with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.